you don't have a Bible, there's one on your table. Should be. And this is the story or the account of Jesus healing the man born blind. It covers the entire chapter, which is 41 verses. It's a story, however, and it go fast, and we're going to cover the entire 41 verses. Jesus has finished ministering during the Feast of Tabernacles, but he's remaining in the area and teaching and ministering. And uh, when this event takes place, we're not sure. It could take place the week after the Feast of Tabernacles, three or four weeks after. We just don't have a time setting, but sometime after the Feast of Tabernacles. And here's how we're going to divide the, the passage. Verses 1 through 7, we're going to see the restoration of of the blind man, the restoration of the blind man. It's good to have Diana Thompson back from Buffalo, New York, where it's right snowing another two feet today. She's had eight feet of snow this, uh, this one. Uh, that's one through seven, the restoration of the blind man. Okay, then verses eight through 30, the examination of the blind man. He's questioned. Then verses 31 through 34, the excommunication of the blind man. He's kicked out of the synagogue for proclaiming Jesus to be uh, his healer. And then verses 35 through 41, the salvation of the blind man. So we have four sections. Uh, we're going to start off slow. The last half of the chapter goes fairly quickly. So we're going to start off with the restoration of the blind man. And we're going to look at verse 1, chapter 9. It says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now notice, uh, the man is not given a name. He's just a man. This would be typical of a healing that Jesus performed during the last year of his ministry. Just a man. What do we know about him? Well, look at the biographical information in verse 1. It says, he was a blind man from birth, uh, which means he has a congenital birth defect. These are not the kinds of defects that doctors can, can just fix, especially in those days. Uh, this means that uh, he was, uh, he never saw his mother's face. We don't know how old he is. He could be 35, he could be 55. He could be 25. He's never seen his mother's face. He's never looked up and seen the blue sky. He's never seen a bird fly. This man has been in darkness his entire life, however long it is. But we also know something sociologically about him. At the end of verse 8, it says, he sat and begged, which means, and he did this near the temple, which means that someone had to lead him daily to a certain spot strategically located near the temple so that he could beg for alms or that somebody would throw a coin in his hat, a worshiper, who was probably in a good mood, would throw a coin in his hat, and he could make a living. So that's what we know about him. Now, notice the apostle's reaction uh, to the blind man in verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it's interesting to me that instead of showing compassion or giving the man a coin. Uh, they look upon him as a curiosity and they attribute blame to his sickness. 
And first of all, they blame the man. They find fault in him. They said, uh, why is he blind? Is it because he sinned? No, wait a second. He's been blind from what? When could he have sinned? Well, the Hindus would have said that he sinned in the former lifetimes. And based on the law of karma, when he was reincarnated, he was born blind. But we're not dealing with Hindus. What are we dealing with? Jews. <laughs> so, did the Jews have some concept of prenatal sin? And they did. It's based on the story of Esau and Jacob fighting in their mother's womb. And the rabbis, some rabbis believe that when a baby kicked inside his mother's body, that, that he was committing a sin. Now, not all rabbis believed it, but that's the only sense that we can make out of this if they were Jews. Uh, but they don't only fault the young man. They say uh, they try to pass blame on his parents. Could it have been his parents? Uh, this would have been based on Exodus 20, where uh, Moses said that the sins of parents could be passed on all the way down to the third and fourth generation. So they look upon this man with a curiosity, and now we get Jesus' answer to that question. And of course, he rejects both the theories. And look what he says in verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Uh, so he doesn't attribute it to, to human fault or human circumstance. But, look who he blames. He doesn't blame the man. He doesn't blame the parents. What does he say? but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This is God's doing. There's a divine element in this man's sickness. And he has been born blind so that you could see God's power manifest in this man's circumstances. So uh, sometimes we suffer that God can get glory through the suffering. It's a hard thing to understand. We think of Johnny Erickson. Uh, it's since she had become crippled that she actually was able to glorify God and has won many people to Christ. But Jesus said, through this man, God's glory is going to show forth, and you're going to see God work in this man's circumstances. So, then he says this, which is very interesting to me. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me. So, notice the word works in verse 3. But that the works of God should be revealed in him now in verse 4, I must work the works. Notice that uh, it's us that are going to do God's works in this man's life and in other people's lives who are suffering. And when we look at suffering, we shouldn't try to get explanations. We shouldn't look at suffering with curiosity and wonder, why is this happening like the apostles? We just need to do something about it. You know, if the lights went out in this building, we could all say, why did the lights go out? Or, guess what we could do? We could light a match. <laughs> or turn on the, the breaker and lift up the brake and the lights. We could do something about it. Lift the match and guess what? The darkness is dispelled. Does not matter why it went out. You just need to do something to dispel the darkness. And uh, that's one of the themes of John's Gospel, light and darkness. Now Jesus has come into the light and the darkness cannot overcome the light. It dispels the darkness. So here we have this man in a dark period of his life, and 
we should be asking questions of why we should try to be doing something about it. So look what Jesus said. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now I want you to notice a couple things. I want you to notice that this is a compulsory work. You see that? Look at the word must in verse 4. I must work the works. Notice it's a commissioned work. Look at that. It's a commissioned work. I must work the works of him who did what? Send me. He's authorized to do this work. Notice it's a compelling work. It's an urgent work. While it is yet day. As long as I am in the world, as long as it's while it is yet day, the night is coming when no one can work. It's a compelling work. Also, it's possibly a cooperative or a collective work because in some of your Bibles, in verse 4, it doesn't say, I must work the works. What does it say? We must work the works. And even if yours says I, you may have a footnote down the bottom of your page that says, some translations say we must work the works. And so it's not only that Jesus does the works of God, it's also us who have been authorized by God to do the works. And then he says this, as long as I am in the world, notice as long, see there's, a, there's an urgency, there's a time limit here. I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Well he's in the last year of his ministry, and guess what? He's going to soon die. And when he dies on the cross, what happens at 12 noon when he dies on the cross? Everything comes dark. And now it's dependent upon us to be the light of the world. And there's a darkness between Christ's death see, and his resurrection and Christ's death and his ascension and the day of Pentecost when the apostles become the light of the world and we become the light of the world. So Jesus has to get to work because he only has maybe 11 or 12 months to live. So look at verse 6. So when he said these things, he spat on the ground. He didn't ask the man's permission. He just spits on the ground. And he made clay with, with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Now, Romans believed that there was healing properties in saliva. And we know that there are. You know, you can get a sore in your mouth and saliva heals the sore. But that's not what heals the man. It's not a natural healing. It's not because Jesus puts saliva on the man that he's healed. In fact, the man becomes double blind. He's not only blind from birth, but guess what Jesus does? He makes mud pies and puts them right over the guy's eyes. If the guy's eyes were healed, guess what? He still couldn't have seen because of the mud pies. You see, so he's actually double blind here. And then verse 7, he said to him, Now go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now this is the same pool, the pool of Siloam, where the priest went during the Feast of Tabernacles and got water for that big water ceremony that we talked about a few days ago. Now Jesus is going to use that same water and he's going to heal a man. They are involved in using the water for ceremony. Jesus is involved in using the water for healing. And so there's a play on words here if you look at this because in verse 7, uh, it says the pool's name is Siloam, which is translated what? 
sent. And if you look up in verse 4, Jesus said, I must do the works of him who what? Sent. So Jesus is sent. See? And the pool is called sent. And the man is sent. So the one who's called sent sends the man to the pool that's called sent. And he washes in it. And what he does, he comes back and he's totally healed. He sees. Uh, now this is the extent of the miracle. Verses 6 and 7. We have 41 verses in this chapter. Only two deal with the miracle specifically. And notice, it's not blown out of proportion. It's not like you see on television. When someone says they're healed, they go, Aah! They'll brag about it for 15 you know, weeks, and then they go on a tour and tell about how they were healed or whatever the situation is. They, it's just like a matter of fact. Okay? This man is healed. So this is what we're going to call the restoration of the blind man. Now we come to the examination of the blind man. Look at verse 8 and 9. He's examined first by his neighbors. Verses 8 and 9. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And someone said, some of them said, Yes, this is he. And others said, well, I don't know about that. He looks like him. So finally the man chirps up, it's me. <laughs> now, you can see at first, they can't recognize this man. Uh, they have to do a double take. They've never seen him before with his eyes clear. They've never seen him before without someone having to lead him around or without you know, a white cane or without a seeing eye dog. Suddenly he's just walking around. And you know, a person who's blind, and when they get healed, they're walking around, they look different. Just imagine Stevie Wonder if he didn't have his sunglasses on and his head like this when he's standing up and he's just walking. You wouldn't know who Stevie Wonder. Or for those of you who don't know who Stevie Wonder is, somebody from, not up with the more modern generation, how Ray Charles used to look. <laughs> and suddenly Ray Charles doesn't have his glasses on, he's walking. You wouldn't even recognize him. Yeah, Ray Charles. Now, I recognize faces. I'm bad at names, but I, I never forget a face. And for some reason, my father was the same way. My father could see somebody he was in school with in the first grade, and he would recognize the person. And he would, he would remember their names. But I had that same ability to recognize faces. But I'm not sure I could have recognized this man, because that's not how I would have seen him before. See, I would have seen him in his sunglasses or with his cane. And, so you can understand that they're having some problems recognizing. So he chirps up and he said, hey, it's me. <laughs> so with that, we go into this examination. And so in verse 10, look what they say. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? <clears throat> now that's the wrong question. The right question is, who opened your eyes? Not how were your eyes opened. By the way, the same letters, just rearranged. How, H-O-W. Who, W-H-O. <laughs> so they're asking the wrong question. So he answered, he said, not how, he says who. Look, a man named Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam 
and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. Now, we don't know that after Jesus told him to go and wash, if Jesus walked away and he never saw Jesus again. We don't know if he had to ask somebody, who was that guy that did all that to me when I was blind? They had to say it was Jesus. We're just not sure. All he knows, he's a man, and he knows that his name is Jesus. And then verse 12, it says, Then they said to him, Well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So that's the examination by the neighbors. Well, what are they going to make of this? They figure we better get this guy to the religious leaders. And they take him to the Pharisees, which of course for us are not the most friendly people toward Jesus. So now we come to the examination by the Pharisees. This would be examination number two. Okay? So look at verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. So they figure we need to tell the religious leaders. Now, at this point I want to do something really important that you don't just look at this miracle as a miracle. This miracle signifies something. And it's really important that we get it. So I'm going to have you turn to two places. The first place is the book of Isaiah and chapter 35. So keep your finger here and go back to Isaiah and chapter 35. Because this really is the gist of the passage. As you'll see when we go a little further. So when you get to Isaiah 35, this is talking about what's going to happen when the kingdom comes to earth for Israel in the future. And so notice what it says. Verse, and you might have something like the future glory of Zion in the title or something over chapter 35. But look at verse 4. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense. He will come and he will save you. Now look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. See, a sign that the kingdom arrives on earth is blind people's eyes are opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There's going to be a refreshing, a restoration of the Jewish people. And you will know that it's beginning when you see the eyes of the blind people opening. And when Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. So that's the first passage. Now look at the second passage, which is Luke chapter 7. Now this is very important because this is Jesus' own words explaining pretty much Isaiah 35. John the Baptist has been thrown in prison. And he's starting to doubt whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. And so when you get to Luke chapter 7, look down at verse... Look at verse 20. So John sends men to Jesus. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you. This is Luke 7, 20. John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another? In that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. 
Jesus answered the men and he said this, Go back to John and tell John the things that you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleared, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now notice John said, are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one? And what does, how does Jesus answer? Go tell John what? The blind sick. See, because that was the sign of the Messiah's coming. So now when you go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, here we have Jesus healing a blind man. So what is happening? The kingdom is coming. It's not here in its fullness. Not every blind man is, is, uh, has his sight or her sight restored. But it is happening, and so the kingdom is breaking in on the earth. And the old system, of which the Pharisees represent, is going out. And law is going out. And the new age is coming in that is under the reign of Jesus Christ. And so, the man has his eyes opened, and guess who they take the man to? Those people representing the old system representing uh, the Pharisees, representing Israel's tradition. So look what happens in verse 14. So they bring, verse 13 says, they bring him to the Pharisees. Now, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Look at verse 14. It was a Sabbath when Jesus made clay and opened the man's eyes. That means Jesus worked on the Sabbath. He had to make mud pies. That was work. He broke the Sabbath. You see, they're really this. You know that you know that we have trouble coming at this point. Up until this time, the story is a pretty nice story. Now there's trouble. You would think that the Pharisees would say, "You're the guy who used to sit on the street corner begging next to the temple. We went by there every day and saw you. Never gave you a dime, but we, we saw, saw you. You're healed. Well, praise the Lord. They didn't do any of that, did they? No. The Gospel writer John has to say. It was the Sabbath in which Jesus healed the blind man. So that the reader, that's us, realized, uh-oh, we're in for some trouble here. So look at verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Notice, there's the how question again. You see that? How he received his sight. He said to them, he, meaning Jesus, put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man's not from God, talking about Jesus, because he does not keep what? The Sabbath. Say, he healed you, that's fine, but he's not from God, we know that. Others said, well, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? Signs of the kingdom breaking in. And there was a division among the Pharisees. <clears throat> they said to the blind man again, well, what do you say? We say he's a sinner. <laughs> what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Now, the Pharisees said he's a what? A sinner. Many of them said he's a sinner. Some said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But here the man says, he is a prophet, and he gives his explanation. But, you think that satisfies the Pharisees? Are they happy with that answer? No, they're not happy with that answer. 
So guess what they do? They dismiss the guy, and now we have the examination of his parents. Let's bring his parents in and see what they have to say. So this is the best of all. This is where I really, I really enjoy this passage based on these next few verses. So look at verse 18. This is examination number three, examination of the parents. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. I said, ah, he probably was never blind in his life. You know, he's probably just lying. They're probably in cahoots that Jesus got in this guy. This is probably one of those tricks, you know, where a fake healer has somebody faking sickness in the audience. You know, we don't believe that. So notice what it says in verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. Look at this. Until. See, they were doubting him all along. Until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, this is a great one. Is this your son? Who you say was born blind? Next question. Here's the how question. How then does he now see? I love this. The parents said, well, we know it's our son. And then he was born blind. We were there, you know. He was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Now they're lying. They know exactly how he was healed. By what means he now sees, we do not know. And who opened his eyes? We do not know. This is the greatest. He's 21. Ask him. He can speak for himself. They passed the buck back to the kid. Now, why wouldn't they just say, you know, well, he came home and he told us this guy Jesus made his mud back and he was in. They don't do any of this. They just back out and pass the buck onto their kid. What kind of parents is that? Why do they do that? Well, look what it says. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they what? Feared the Jews. They were afraid because the Jews, meaning the Pharisees, had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's 21 asking. They didn't want to get kicked out and excommunicated from the synagogue. And so they just passed the buck. They are dismissed. They bring the son in for a second examination. <laughs> so they recall him, and look what happens. This is the fourth examination totally. Neighbors, Pharisees, parents, son comes back. They're going to get to the bottom of this one way or another. Now, you just have to imagine this being a police scene. They're doing an investigation. And you know how they are. They'll bring you back into that interrogation room another time, won't they? And they'll say, let's start from the beginning. Tell me the story again. Lauren knows about that. She used to be a cop. So look what happens here. Verse 24. So again they called the man who was blind, and they said to him, Give God the glory. Now, this can mean one of two things. Uh, based on Psalm uh, 146, there is a statement that says, God heals the blind. Well, they could be just saying, give God the glory. But there are three places in the Old Testament where that same phrase is used, give God the glory, which basically means bind yourself to an oath and say, as God is my witness. So they're asking him to take an oath and tell the truth in the situation in the name of God. So they say, give God the glory or take an oath. Tell us the truth now. We know this man 
is a sinner. And now here comes the famous verse. And he answered and said, Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. There's one thing I don't know. I don't know. There's a negative and there's a positive in that verse, isn't there? In verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. That's what he doesn't know. Here's the positive. One thing I know. I know I was blind. And now I see. And he gives that testimony. Now look at verse 26 and 27. Then they said to him, Well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? That's the fourth time the word how is used in conjunction with this miracle. Verse 10, verse 15, verse 19, and now verse 26. How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already, and you didn't listen. In other words, they said, let's start from the beginning. How did he open your eyes? And the guy said, look, how many times do I have to tell you? He's being examined, cross-examined here. How many times... Do I have to tell you? And then he says this, which is one of the great parts of a verse in this text. Do you also want to become his disciple? You asking me because you want to become his disciple? Is that why you're asking me? <laughs> now, what makes this so ironic? If you've been with us over the weeks, you know this is the exact same question that the Pharisees asked Nicodemus when they were trying to arrest Jesus, and Nicodemus said, doesn't he at least deserve a fair trial? And the Pharisee said, what, are you trying to become one of his disciples? And this guy throws it right back on him. He said, why, why are you asking me? Do you want to become one of his disciples? Now, with that sarcasm, of course, and at this point, they become absolutely indignant. I mean, they, they go bonkers at this point. And look what they say in verse 28. They reviled him. That's a nice word. We could say... They did a lot worse than revolve him. And they said, You are his disciple. But we are what? Moses' disciple. Moses representing the old system, the law. Christ representing the new system. Isn't that what the Gospel of John says in the beginning? The law came from Moses. Truth and grace comes through Jesus Christ. The new is coming in and out with the old. You see? So they're holding on to the old, and this man is holding on to the new. He gets very bold. And then he answered, and he said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he's opened my eyes. This absolutely blows my mind, that you can't tell where he's from. And who he represents. This man opened my eyes. Can't you see it? Maybe you're the one who are blind. Uh, so he believes Jesus is a prophet at this point, and he basically gets bold, and he says, you know, anybody could see that this must be a pretty good guy because he opened my eyes. Okay, so that is the examination. Now we come to the excommunication. This does not, you know, uh, produce favor with the people. So in verse 31 it says, now we know, this is what they say, now we know that God does not hear sinners. Or he says that. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, this is the man still speaking, since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened 
the eyes of one who is born blind. In other words, you can go in the Old Testament and you can look. Can you find a priest that ever opened a blind person's eyes? Can you find a prophet in the Old Testament that ever opened somebody's eyes? Can you find a king in the Old Testament that ever opened somebody's eyes? And the young man says, you can't find any place where eyes have been opened under the Old Covenant. But here, Jesus has opened eyes. He says something new is happening here. And that's one of the points that he's trying to make. So as you go on, and we're looking at verse, what verse? 32, okay? Oh, so since the beginning of the world, no one's opened his eyes. If this man were not from God, the young man says, he could do nothing. Then the Pharisees answered and said to him, you are completely born in sin. And you're teaching us? Who do you think you are? And they cast him out. And so he gets excommunicated from the synagogue. Now, what's so interesting in this is that his parents are still members of the synagogue. <laughs> but he is cast out of the synagogue. Okay? So we have this excommunication. Now we come to the salvation of the man in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, notice Jesus seeks the young man out. He said to him, you believe in the Son of God? Some translations say Son of Man, but it basically means the same thing. You believe in the Son of God? And he said, well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. See, the Pharisees said, we follow Moses. Who does this guy follow? Jesus. See, this guy represents the new age, what God is now doing. Now, isn't it interesting when you look at this? Remember, Jesus healed somebody else by a pool once. At the pool of Bethsaida, uh, Beth, I think it was. Was it Bethsaida or Bethsaida? I'm not sure which. And remember that guy? He also went to the Pharisees. And what did he do? You remember? Yeah, he ratted Jesus out. Remember that? And Jesus said, you know, if you don't watch out, you're going to end up dying in your sins to the young man. And the young man rats Jesus out. But here's the healing. Because look, that young man, even though he had been healed, that's the guy who had to pick up his mat and walk. Remember that back in chapter 7 or so? Chapter 5? Uh, he was healed. And he ratted Jesus out. And he dies in his sins. Because he's going to stay with the old system. Here's a young guy who's healed. Jesus seeks him out. Just like he sought the other guy out. And this guy says, I believe. And he worships Jesus. So we have the salvation of the man. Then verse 39 says, And Jesus said, For judgment I've come into the world. I've come here to sort of separate people. That those who do not see may see. And those who see may be made blind. I've come in here to divide people. First, that those who, who what? Those who, what verse are we in there? 
39. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may be blind. Now he's talking about this time, he's talking about probably there's a physical sight and there's a spiritual sight. And you know, that's what light does. Jesus is the light. And guess what? In a dark room, light allows you to see. So light has the power to reveal things to you, so you can see. If you're in darkness, suddenly you can see. But guess what? If your eyes are open, and I shine a light right into it, guess what it does? It blinds you. It can either allow you to see, or it can blind you. <laughs> and so here's what he says in verse 39. For judgment I've come into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him, probably with the young man or with Jesus, they followed him along, probably trying to get him in another trap, uh, heard these things, and they said, Are we blind also? See, they're going to try to figure out what's going on. Uh, you think we need to have our eyes open? Because Jesus said if you're blind, you know, you can have your eyes open. They said, you think we're blind? It can be put in the negative. You don't think we're blind also, do you? See, that's really how it could be read. And Jesus said, well, you know something? If you were blind, you'd have no sin. You'd be just like this guy. But now you say, look at this, but now you say what? We see. Therefore, sin remains on you. Now, this is very you know, complicated couple of verses here, but Jesus is basically saying, when they say, you don't think we're blind also, do you? And Jesus says, well, yeah, no, you really aren't blind. I'm sure you're not blind. You don't think you're blind, do you? And of course, guess what? If you don't think you're blind, then guess what? You don't need to be healed, do you? Not if you don't think you're blind. <laughs> who, who has to be healed? Those who think they're blind, see? But if you can't admit that you need help, then there's no help for you because you don't perceive that you need help. And if that's the case, guess what? Those last two verses said it all. Therefore, you're what? Your sin remains. Do you see that? So pride is always the culprit. So what we have is we have the blind man is healed and he is receives salvation. And we have the Pharisees who receive condemnation. Because they don't feel that they need to heal them. Now I want you to notice one other thing before we close. I want you to notice the progression. Okay, in verse 11. He's asked how his eyes were open, and look what he said in verse 11. He said, a man. You see that? A man. Look at verse 17. Next notice how Jesus is described. A prophet. You see that? And then look in verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out and he found him and he said, Do you believe in what? The Son of God or the Son of Man? He said, Well, who is he? And Jesus said, I am him. And he said, I believe. First starts off just a minute. As things get clear, he says, I think he was a prophet. And finally, Jesus reveals himself as Son of God. And, says, I believe. and that's usually the way things happen in our lives. 
first, you know, when you're just investigating Christianity, you think Jesus is a man. That's usually, unless you were born in the church and you knew all this. But in my case, I wasn't. So I thought, well, Jesus was a man. And then as I began to study, he was a prophet. And then I read a book by Josh McDowell. He's more than a carpenter, and he's more than a prophet. He's the son of God. And there comes a point in each one of our lives where we say, either I believe and I need your help, Jesus, or like the Pharisees, you stay right where you are in the old system and you send your names. Next week, we're going to deal with chapter 10, Jesus the True Shepherd. Lord, we thank you for uh, this miracle, which is bigger than the healing of a man. It says that the old way and the old system and the old traditions are passing by the wayside, no longer following Moses as our leader, but the kingdom has arrived in Jesus. And we believe that he's the Son of God. Oh Lord, help that to be the confession of each one of us. Help us to be bold like the young man and not fearful like the parents. Fear brings a snare, but we know, Lord, that faith and love brings boldness. We thank you, Lord, that the story is for us and that we now can confess like this young man with full confidence that Jesus is Lord and we can say, I believe. In Jesus name. Amen.